everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am your host, Taylor Rockwell. No Daryl Grove today. We're going to be talking Serie A, and as with all Englishmen, Daryl only likes Serie A when Paul Gascoigne plays there. Um, that is not true, really, but it is the case that David Amoyal, who will be talking to me, uh, knows all of the things there are to know about Serie A, so instead I'm chatting with him instead of Daryl. No disrespect to Daryl, who does join me later on for a little bit of a Serie A quiz, uh, but David and I start off by talking about some of like the lesser known but still very exciting Serie A teams. We move on to some of the maybe better known, like the title contenders, looking specifically at Juve, Inter Milan, and Napoli, and then some of the sort of like second tier clubs in there, your Romas, your Fiorentinas, your AC Milans, uh, if you want to put them there too. Uh, so it's a it's a nice long conversation. It's always really nice to have David on the show because he knows so much, but is like so specific in that knowledge. I very much appreciate it. Hopefully you will as well. I'm assuming you will. I'm also going to add that uh, our plan is to have, da- have David on uh, semi-regularly to kind of keep us up to date with everything that's going on in Serie A, uh, because it's not necessarily a league that Daryl and I do a very good job of paying attention to, but we probably should, because as you'll find out from this show, there are many, many teams doing a lot of exciting things, many exciting players, and some innovative coaches uh, coming into their own this season. So uh, with all that said, I will turn it over to me talking to David. With me now, I've got uh, David Amoyal. Hopefully, I've got that pronunciation right again uh, of the Calcio Land Pod. Uh, he's the editor for Demartio English. He's a columnist for the Athletic and ESPN, many more. David, thank you for joining the show once again. Real pleasure to be on. I had a great time last time, so uh, thanks again for having me. Of course, yeah, all the pressure. I guess uh, it went well last time. Let's see if we can keep it going this time. Um, we have lots to get to. I sort of want to hold off for a moment talking about like. I, the presumed like, big three and sort of ask you, we get this question a lot from people like what are some teams that maybe uh, like, I don't know about or maybe aren't as quite as like like well known when it comes to Serie A. I would include teams like maybe Lazio, Fiorentina in that sure. conversation. But who are some teams that you, David, think if people are just getting into Serie A, they might enjoy watching for any number of reasons? So I think the easy answer is Atalanta, and it's a good answer because they'll be in the Champions League, which was pretty surprising that mm-hmm. they qualified. Uh, although they play a back three with two wing backs, they actually play a really exciting brand of football. Their manager, Gasperini, is uh, one of the most tactically astute managers in Serie A. They uh, did very well this summer transfer window. They only lost. One starter, uh, center back Mancini, who they've replaced rather well. Um, you know, combination of players on the squad. They brought in Skirtle, who some might know from his time at Liverpool. And they have a very exciting front line. Last season, we had Duvan Zapata and Joseph Ilicic have career seasons and this year they brought in Luis Muriel who's another very talented striker who maybe has underachieved a bit in his career and I think he's going to have a really strong season for Gasperini so that's the easy answer you mentioned Lazio who I would recommend I have them as the fourth best team as you mentioned there is a top three I have Lazio right below them in the next here I would say Lazio they are pretty exciting team they have a lot of talented players uh we still have a little bit more in the transfer window in Italy but I don't expect them to sell any of their stars so Milinkovic Savic Luis Alberto they have a striker Immobile who's very good in Serie A and Correa another one on Atletico Madrid uh he's been really good and I think he's going to have a breakout season and they added one of the most exciting wing backs in Italy and Lazzari who is like perfectly suited uh, 
for their formation. So I think those are the more obvious ones. If you want to be more hipster and uh, deep, I would say Sassuolo is a very fun team. Uh, their manager, Did Zerbi, I would say, is going to be potentially the next great Italian manager, but he's not the typical defensive catenaccio manager that you think of with Italy. Uh, the Zerbi was so good that he got Boateng to go play for Barcelona for a little bit. <laughs> that's, so, right. that's, uh, that's how good he is. That uh, transfer shocked a lot of people. They lost Boateng, but they brought in some pretty intriguing mm-hmm. players. This midfielder Traore, who uh, Juve bought and uh, sent over to Sassuolo. Uh, they brought back Obiang, who was in the Premier League for a little bit. But I would say Sassuolo very intriguing team. Uh, if you really want to impress people, uh, I would mention that one. And Fiorentina is, I think, uh, for people in the U.S., it's easy. We have Rocco Comiso from mm. the Cosmos, who's there, the president. Uh, got off a slow start, but man, have they been on fire. We mentioned Boateng earlier, who now is on Fiorentina. They signed Ribery. Mm-hmm. Those, I would say, are the sexy signings, but they've made some pretty shrewd moves to bolster positions at need. And my only reservation with them really is the manager, Montella. Let's see how long he lasts. So of those not at the top, I think those are uh, great teams to watch because they're also all fairly entertaining. Montella, is that, like, he has bounced around a fair amount in his career. Is that fair to say? Oh, that's very fair. <laughs> To say So, you know, he was at Roma for a while where he played. He was at Sampdoria where he did just okay. He was at Milan, struggled there. He was in Spain for like six months and was sacked. And he returned to Fiorentina. And I guess at Fiorentina, he did have the best stretch of his managerial career. He did get him to fourth place a few times. Uh, but, you know, he struggled since. So, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. You know, I always think former players and especially strikers that are managers maybe get a little bit more of a break because of name recognition. But I feel now the pressure is on him because they did a very strong summer window. They have a new owner, a new owner that didn't hire him originally. So if they get off to a slow start, let's see if they make a change. And going back to Atalanta for a moment, I kind of completely forgot they're going to be in the Champions League. Such was my preparation. Yeah. I apologize for that. How, how have they gone about doing that? How, like, is it is it major investment? Is it shrewd signings? Is it strong academy? Is it all of the above? Or is it something else entirely? I'm glad you asked because I think it's uh, very intriguing what they've done. So they've they've have a great scouting network. Like historically, when you think of Atalanta, you think of uh, homegrown players that then go on to Juve, typically are big teams. But recently, they've if you look at their lineup; it's almost all foreign players that they found in like smaller leagues for good value. Skirtle and Muriel are really exceptions, and they wouldn't have arrived without. The Champions League. They're a very shrewd club. They've sold very well in recent years, so they've made big profits, but they reinvested in the team. Uh, they're they're refurbishing their stadium. It's going to be state-of-the-art. Um, so they've done well there. They're reinvesting well in the team, and they're just really good on the transfer market. I think they have a great manager, and they do a nice job of uh, building the team in his image. This summer, I think they were smart. They went for depth. I mean, look, I don't think they're going to make a deep run in the Champions League, but I also think they are, you know, they're going to be a pesky team. Uh, for They're going to be in the fourth pot, so they could be in what ends up being a group of depth because they won't be pushovers. 
And, you know, I mentioned Muriel. They also brought in Malinovsky. Those who play FIFA might be familiar with him. He was on Gank in Belgium. They have a good track record. Some of their former players, when they come to Serie A, tend to do uh, well. So very intriguing team. I think Atalanta actually really is the blueprint for teams in Italy that are trying to kind of reach the next level. They just do uh, things the right way. Uh, but with that said, you had, I think, Lazio is your fourth best team. Uh, the indication I'm guessing there being that your top three is some combo of Juventus, uh, Inter, and Napoli. Uh, would those be the picks? Absolutely. And the only reason, look, for me, Atalanta is very close to Lazio. I was very tempted to pick them fourth. But for me, the difference is Atalanta had uh, most of their best players have career seasons that we really, you know, they weren't as consistent. I'm not sure they can all repeat that. Lazio, on the other hand, their best players, other than Lucas Lieva, who's been excellent since arriving from Liverpool, Milinkovic, Savic, Luis Alberto, Immobile, for their standards, had a subpar season. So I think they're going to bounce back. And that's really the only reason I give them an edge on Atalanta. As far as the top three, I completely agree. To me, they are clearly on a top level. I still pick Juve to win the title, but it's much closer than in years past. And I think it's been a long time in Serie A since we've had three teams that are can legitimately contend. Napoli has done a good job of keeping up as best they can to Juve, but now Inter, between bringing in Conte, getting out of financial fair play, getting you know, getting out of that window where they had to watch what they spent, and they've had a great transfer window. I think they're going to challenge Juve. It's going to be really an exciting season. Well, let's start with Inter then, uh, because I was sort of excited to see uh, Rajan Angelen and Antonio Conte attempt to coexist. <laughs> Instead, uh, uh, he's gone to, I think, Cagliari. Uh, again, I, I apologize for my, pr- my pronunciation. Why did that move happen? Is it like, is, uh, are we seeing, have kind of we seen the best of Rajan Angelen, or was it maybe a personality conflict? So it's a great question because Conte, when he was at Juve, really won Angolan. He was one of kind of those uh, Moby Dick players that they were just kept going after and mm-hmm. never were able to sign. Angolan didn't like Juve as a club. So Conte wanted him. And it's kind of ironic that now he arrives at Inter and his priority was actually getting rid of what he considered character uh, issues with character. So we know Icardi has been frozen out, and I think at this point he'll be frozen out at least until the January window. We saw Perisic being sent out on loan. They just wanted to get rid of him once they signed Lukaku. They were like, see you later. And Nangolan, I mean, Conte, just, you know, he had a definitely a rough first season at Inter. I mean, he did score the goal that got him to the Champions League, so good for that. But beyond that, he really struggled. I mean, he's just not the player where it's worth it to put up with the off-field stuff. I think him going back to Cagliari is great. You know, he also has personal uh, reasons for that. So I think it's a good move for him. But I could see how Conte just decided, you know what, when I desperately needed a midfielder and he was one of the best in Serie A, I'll put up with some off-field stuff, but now at Inter, I think he just wanted to start with a clean slate. And so with that clean slate, he's brought in a fair number of players. You've got Lukaku coming in yeah. from Man United, uh, Diego Godin on a free, Valentino Lazar from Hertha Berlin, Matteo Politano from Sassuolo, to name just a few. There are many other ones. I'm not going to name them all. Don't worry. Mostly, I just want to know, have you liked their purchases, and uh, do you think they're finished shopping, or do you think there might be a few more acquisitions before the window closes? 
I think there's going to be a few minor deals. I mean, I do think that there's a very good chance they'll get Alexis Sanchez from Man United. That'll be more as a bench player, but you never know. I mean, I could see Conte being really the good manager for him at this stage of his career. Then I could see them making a minor move, maybe swapping uh, left backs with Dalbert, Fiorentina, and Biragi, who's a homegrown player coming. But I think this is really mainly their squad and I really like what they did because they built really a team in Conte's image. They already had uh, the most clean sheets in Serie A last season, but they added Diego Godin, as you mentioned, who's old, but still one of the best center backs in the world. So now Conte has a back three of Skriniar, De Vrij, and Godin, which to me, that's, I mean, that's as good as almost anyone in Europe off the top of my head. I can't think of anyone that I would say it's clearly better. So he kind of has his new version of the BBC there. You mentioned Lazaro, who so hard-working right wing back. He'll be kind of his version of Licksteiner, of Victor Moses, like we saw at Chelsea. Uh, Lukaku, who, again, has been a player that Conte has been wanting to sign for a long time, and I think he'll do well in Serie A, and I think he's going to be a very good partner for Lautaro Martinez, who uh, was good in his first season in Serie A, did well at the Copa America. I think he's ready to break out. And in the midfield, they brought in Barella from Cagliari, who's a starter for Italy. And he's kind of that box-to-box midfielder, kind of a little bit in the Vidal mode of uh, what we saw at Juve. And a surprising player who's had a great summer is Sensi, who arrived from Sassuolo. He's a short, deep-lying playmaker, maybe a little bit similar to Lucas Torreira that we see at Arsenal, and he's fit in great at Inter. I could see him, you know, playing the role that Pirlo had at Conte when they were both at Juve. So, yeah, I'm very excited for Inter. The only reason I give Napoli a slight edge is they have more continuity. They have a lot of the same player. Inter has a lot of changes. I know the same happened the first year that Conte was at Juve and they won the title, but I think this Serie A is stronger than that one. But if you're an Inter fan and you're not thrilled of this summer, like you probably don't get pleased easily because I can't think of any team that's more improved than Serie A than they are. So I am um, more of a Premier League watcher. I'm sure that will not come as a surprise to you. Um, and like with Antonio Conte, like I have these ideas of his philosophy. And then going back to Juventus as well, Italy the same. But like I, I think of him as a very defensive, counterattacking coach uh, who kind of like wants to hit on the break, wants the discipline, wants everybody yeah. working very hard. Like so, with that said, maybe it's because of like my Manchester United bias. But I do wonder about Lukaku and Sanchez fitting into that. Maybe less so Lukaku, more so Sanchez. Is your expectation that maybe he just kind of helps him rediscover the kind of hardworking up and down form that we've seen from him in the past? Very interesting. You know, what's fascinating about Conte is when he first came up, when Juve hired him, he was not known for the back three. He was not known for being so defensive. He actually had this idea of playing four, two, four with like these two wingers. And like, he really adapted to what he had at Juve changed a lot. But interestingly, I mean, he's kept that philosophy and, you know, he played that way at Chelsea played that way when he managed Italy. And now at Inter, he's built the team that way. And that's how they're going to play. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that you say that, that he's evolved in that. And look, he wanted both Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez when he was 
at Juve. I think where Lukaku is really going to help, and I know the knock on him is he doesn't score against the big teams that gets a volume stats against the mid-lower table teams. But if you look at Inter in recent years, that's where they that's where they struggle. They lost a ton of points there. So I think he's going to help there. And I think it's physicality and Serie A is going to be more of an asset than it was in the Premier League. Like, it's not quite as many strong, big, strong guys like uh, in the Premier League. So I actually think he'll do uh, quite well. And I think with Lautaro Martinez, who's really a very different type of striker, likes to track back, uh, good with assists, I think he'll do well. I'm curious to see how Alexi Sanchez, if he arrives in a I think it's 80% likely he does, how he fits into that. I'm not sure he'll be a bona fide starter. Uh, but he, I think he'll have a pretty intriguing role there. I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, he knows the league a little bit, played at Udinese. And when he played at Udinese, he played in this formation well. So if they get him, it's going to be on loan with Man United paying a decent amount of the salary. So I see it as a no-risk, high-reward. All right, so positive things for Inter uh, and maybe Alexis Sanchez. Um, for Napoli, to a complete outsider, it seems like they had a strong window. Uh, they brought in uh, Manolo, uh, Manolas excuse me, from Roma. Uh, now yeah. their center backs seem almost impenetrable. Uh, David Ospina arrives on a permanent deal. But then they bring in uh, Alex Moretz, I'm guessing, from Udinese. Uh, he's a 22-year-old goalkeeper. The one I, I know absolutely nothing about but found myself very intrigued by, 19-year-old Macedonian midfielder, I think it's Elgif Elmas from Fenerbahce. Yeah. Do you know what do you know about him? What can you tell us about him? Yeah, so Almas is a very interesting. Um, I know someone who covers Turkish football that comes on my podcast, and he's been very high on him. He's been telling me about him for a while. And Napoli, they have a great track record going abroad, signing uh, a midfielders. I mean, they brought in Fabian Ruiz last year from La Liga, and he, other than Ronaldo, I think was the best new addition. And said, yeah, they have a great scouting network for their standards. They invested, you know, $16 million, which for them is a pretty decent amount on Elmas. And uh, I think they're going to ease him in. They have some good options there. Uh, he could be quite intriguing. You mentioned Manolas, great signing. Him and Koulibaly, that's like a great duo. And then we also have Lozano, who arrived from oh, PSV. Yes, yes, and he's going to be very intriguing because Napoli has a nice attack. I mean, they have Milik, Insigne, Mernes, Callejon. They add him in the mix. I mean, and, and to me, what stands out to me about Napoli is the new additions are very good, but they really didn't lose anyone. I mean, Albiol is the only starter they lost, and he had missed a lot of time last season. They replaced them with Manolas, which at bare worst, like even if you have don't highly rate Manolas. He's equivalent to what they got from Albiol last year. So they improved and didn't lose anyone. Second season for Ancelotti there. Uh, I give them just a tiny edge over Inter just because of the continuity and because they really just did a few moves that really addressed needs. You mentioned him there. Uh, I, I want to talk Ancelotti, specifically his eyebrows, but not really. I just always love talking <laughs> about his eyebrows. Um, what is the perception of Carlo Ancelotti in Italy? Because you've got the kind of like Maurizio Sarri coming in. That's a lot of headlines. Antonio Conte coming back. A lot of headlines there. And so it seems like Ancelotti just sort of being at Napoli again, maybe not quite as much attention, but he's a manager who I've always very much enjoyed. I'm wondering how he's perceived in the country, not necessarily by the press, because I'm assuming he, that affable reputation sort of spreads to the press, but like philosophically or from his coaching perspective or history, like how do you think people see Ancelotti? 
So it's interesting you say the press. You're completely right. There's All probably right. no manager in Italy <laughs> that has better – because he is a great guy. He genuinely is. I mean, it's not an act, so I'm not surprised. And look, Ancelotti, I think, was – a huge name like Napoli has had good managers like Mazzari and Sarri, you know, they, that's where they really became very well known was there. So they've always had a knack for finding good managers, but Ancelotti of course was a sexy signing in a way that was kind of their answer to the Ronaldo signing is like, okay, we're going to bring in a big name manager. I think he did pretty well his first season. I think almost everyone expected Napoli to have a little bit of a drawback after coming so close and losing the title in such dramatic fashion that they'd have a bit of a hangover. Um, you know, I think Ancelotti did well his season. I would say the perception of him is obviously he's a European level, international caliber manager, uh, great handling players. Napoli now has more high profile players than they've had in the past. He's obviously great at managing those. If you wanted to pick one way that he's maybe not perceived great, as some people would say that maybe he sees Napoli as not really a retirement type place, but you know, him winding down, he really enjoys living in the city. There are some people that would say, you know, he's hanging on also to make sure his loyal staff members always have a job. I really wouldn't go quite that far. Uh, you know, he's not, I think his next move is managing the Italian national team, like taking a step back from clubs. So I wouldn't say he's there to retire, but I definitely think this is kind of his last uh, big club job. Hey, everybody, much more still to come from my conversation with David, or I should say my brief questions to David and then David's excellent answers back to me. That's more of what it is than an actual conversation. But maybe this will be more of a conversation because I have Daryl Grove with me. Hello, Daryl. Hello, I am conversant. You are conversant. David just has all of the knowledge about Serie A, so it's it's sure easy does. to just sit and be like, yeah, no, just keep talking. Explain more things. Whereas, you know, you, you, have, you have some knowledge. You know how to make tea, I think, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tea bag in, boiling water in, milk optional, sugar optional, stir, enjoy. There we easy. go. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's milk first, then no. tea bag, then it's sugar, <laughs> then cold me. water, then just let it Ouch. sit for a while. No? Oh, you monster. <laughs> I saw that video. It, it hurt me, and I'm assuming it hurt you even more. My eyes fell out. <laughs> that's that, that's not good. You should have that checked out. <laughs> uh, but, Daryl, I do have a uh, specific quiz for you coming up. But before we get to that, we should probably talk oh, no, about... Oh, no, you should give it to David. He knows the answers. Oh, would you he, would, he would definitely know the answers. And I think would uh, would would maybe... You'd get that sort of insulting, like, three seconds of silence that you sometimes get, where it's like... Are you, do you really want to know that? Like, okay, I guess <laughs> that's fine. Um, oh, but well, for I'll, you, I'll do my very best. But for I'll you, do my I'm very excited. best. How about that? I, I appreciate that. But first, before we do that, we should talk about today's sponsor, Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Hims uh, is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and sexual wellness for men. That's over at forhims.com. And according to the Hims copy, with age comes wisdom. That hasn't happened to me yet. No. Uh, but getting older can be a downer in mm-hmm. one area specifically. I don't know what on earth they're talking about. What are they referring no, you to? You don't know? Uh, I think they might uh. be referring to the fact that 40% of men by the age of 40 struggle from not being able to get or maintain an erection. Uh, from what I understand, that can be like physiological, but I, I know that stress can be a factor. And I'm going to assume there are several different coaches out there in Serie A who are going to have very stressful seasons. Maybe that can manifest in different ways. Maybe this is one of them. So maybe they should check out 4 
So it can be physiological or psychological. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or or uh, it, or board of directors inspired. <laughs> if it happens to you, here's the big thing. The thing that I think is yeah. quite serious about when we do the hymns copy, if it happens to you, I this isn't in the copy. This is my personal mm-hmm. sort of feelings on it. Don't be embarrassed. No. Don't suffer. Don't suffer unnecessarily because you you can get a proper medical solution to this problem. It is a weird thing where like because you say that and I want to say like, yeah, it happens to everybody. But then you instantly have that like, no, but it doesn't. Like, I don't know. Like, I think I'm, I'm wired as a male to be like, no, there's no problems. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Let's move Taylor on. Taylor Viral. Taylor Viral. <laughs> exactly. But if you do have that <laughs> issue, Hims connects you again with real licensed doctors, FDA approved pharmaceutical products to help you treat ED. Uh, these are prescription solutions backed by science. And very important, made affordable. There's, uh, in the copy, it also says there's no multiple in-office doctor visits and there's no painful injections, which I think is very reassuring. Ah, <laughs> I, didn't, also, I didn't read that, but that is very important to note. The full line is no painful injections like other treatments. That ah. means that that is one of the treatments out there. I guess so. That that seems yeah. like a bad treatment. That's it. I feel like yeah. that's some that's some uh, that's some unscrupulous doctors right there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you get you get injected in various places, right? But that that would be like I that would worry me essentially. Uh, I am, especially knowing there's an alternative. I think I'd be looking at the the alternative. I I am squirming from theoretical pain over here. So I'm just yeah. gonna say try hymns for a month today for just five dollars. Uh, we'll get you started for just five bucks while supplies last. Not us, hymns will. Right? Yeah, true, very true. We will uh, we will not be manufacturing these drugs. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be a step in, in a direction for us, uh, and that direction would likely be prison. Uh, prescription <laughs> products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or pharmacy, and they may try and do one of those injections. Instead, go to forhims.com slash totalsuckered. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash totalsuckered. There we are. Uh, and why interact with a human when humans can be the worst? Instead, just stay <laughs> in your home and have it sent to you. You'll be fine. Uh, One final time. It's forhims.com slash totalsoccered. There we are. All right, Daryl. So uh, I'm also excited to talk, talk with you because uh, talking to David reminded me that there are some things I know about Syria and there are many, many other things I do not. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to see where you are in your knowledge. I'm going to guess uh, that you are more up to date on things than I was. But I- I've got a few different questions for you. We're going to do a sort of Serie A quiz. Uh, do you feel prepared? Here's where I'm at. I was more comfortable talking about ED okay. than I am about Serie A. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Let's start with what could be an easy one, unless maybe you overthink it. What club okay. currently employs Gonzalo Iguain? Oh, I know this. It's Juventus. It is Juventus. Yeah, but I had to look I it up because I was like, trying to get, yeah. they're trying to get rid of him, right? But he is currently employed there. Yeah, but it was it was the double loan last season that really confused me. The loan to Milan and then the loan <laughs> to Chelsea and then moving yes. back to Juve. That's a rarity. So uh, you're one for one. Good job. See? See, it's not that hard. All right. And there's only one question, right? So we're good? 100%. 100%. Pass and you're good. Go. You're batting a thousand, maybe. certificate? <laughs> All right. I got, I got another one for you. This one's slightly more okay. challenging. All right? Uh-oh. Atalanta will be playing in the Champions League this season. To theoretically bolster their defense, what former Liverpool defender did they sign on a free transfer from Fenerbahce? See, this is incorrect because yeah. Atalanta went out in the first round of the CONCACAF Champions League. They will not be. Okay, there we, I was confused for a moment. I was like, wait a minute, what's <laughs> happening now? I see what you've done. You've bought yourself time. <laughs> All right, so Atalanta signed a defender, former Liverpool defender. Mm-hmm. 
who is where Fenerbahce? Yep. Is it Martin Skirtle? It is Martin Skirtle. There you yes. go. Your hint was going to be He-Man considers him evil. <laughs> that was a pure guess, but I felt like an educated guess. I mean, you're knowledgeable, my friend. Two, two for two. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Another one for you. According to Transfer Market, there you go, uh, what goalkeeper has the second lowest market value of any player for Juventus? So of all of Juventus's players, if you search by market value and then do the reverse search, uh, there is one player whose name I was not familiar with. Then there's a goalkeeper who you probably know. Okay, first of all, it's pronounced transfer marked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, no, there's no second D, right? No, there's not. Um, it always bothers me. <laughs> I guess, is, it German, is it a German thing or are they just like, we're going to skip a letter here? I, I think it's just efficiency, man. We don't have time to write yeah. out a full, full two words. It's like Tumblr, right? They're just like, yeah, we'll skip a vowel. I'm going to assume that um, that website was taken. Is, is, I'm hoping, <laughs> I hope it wasn't like sloppily registering a domain and misspelling it when they did. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a gamble yep. here. And because of his age, I'm going to say it's Gigi Buffon. It is Gigi Buffon. I wasn't sure if you knew that he had gone back to Juventus or not. But yes, yes it is Gigi I did Buffon. know that. Uh, I doubt he will be the starter. I'm assuming that's still going to be Stesny. Uh, I yeah. think that's how you pronounce that. But yes, Buffon is back there. I think his market value is like 1.5 million euros or something like that. Which that makes sense, right? Because no one would. We know he's towards the end. Then you know you wouldn't get long out of him. So th- there's no market value for Gigi Buffon. See, you were nervous. You're three for three now, man. You're you're yeah. you are, you're killing it here. All right, how about this one? Uh, Matthias De Ligt uh, signing for Juventus was the most expensive purchase in Serie A this window. What player was the second most expensive import? Oh, I will give you a hint if you need one. Expensive import to Seri. I can't remember who Juve bought. Did Inter do some shopping? Am I on the right path here? This player plays for Inter Milan was going to be Okay. Inter bought. Oh, I don't know, Taylor. I don't know. Yes, you do. Think about I it for I guarantee you, you do. Uh, I'll say I'll give you this one then. He played in the Pre- he played in the Premier League last season for a last team that I care about. He played for Manchester United and he signed for Inter and his name is Romelu Lukaku. There we go. And I did it with no hints at all. <laughs> no hints all at all. Me. I'll edit them out. We'll make it sound like you know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it to you though, four for four, because sometimes you the are, hints don't help. You are so generous. Hey, I want you to do well. You deserve a good score. <laughs> Final one, this one's a bit more challenging, but I'm guessing maybe you've noticed it. Uh, by the time many people hear this, uh, a certain 24-year-old winger that we both know and usually enjoy uh, will have signed for Napoli. Who is that player? 24-year-old winger who mm. we both know and enjoy. Enjoy the- in, in most of the time, except for very specific uh, games. Hmm. That's a trick question because Charisma is not 24. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do know. He's Mexican. He is. Um, it's not Tecatito. No. It is. Why am I blanking on his name? He's so good. We've watched him so many times. I'm having that sort of. Would it help? Name, would it help? Would it help you? I guarantee you. I guarantee you. This jogs it. Uh, your hint was going to be he shares a nickname with the antagonist of a horror franchise. Oh, Chucky Lozano. There it is. Was it? Was that who you were thinking of, or were you thinking of like yes. Diego Lainez or something else? No, no, I was thinking of Chucky Lozano. All but right. for some reason, I take a tito in my head. That happens, man. That happens. But yes, yes. That, you did figure out uh, very, very wisely that I was alluding to the fact that we enjoy him until he plays for Mexico against the United States. Yes. Mm-hmm. There you go. Five for five. You nailed it, man. 
Quizzes aren't hard. Yeah, you got with, this. With no help at all. No help at all. No help <laughs> at all. And for listeners, I did edit out uh, all of the hints. So any hints you did hear, those were like very early on hints. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, you've ruined it now. You've made me look bad. <laughs> it's my job, Daryl. It's what I do best. Uh, I also uh, do ad talk very well. Shall we talk oh, about you, you talk ad good? I talk ad, I talk ad very good. <laughs> Taylor transition smooth. I talk most good. Um, <laughs> let's talk about today's sponsor, Talisman Caps, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Based in St. Paul, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Yeah. Based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Talisman Caps, it's an independent soccer-themed cap company. I don't I'm know. Not what, sure that's how they would describe themselves. That's what I'm going with. I want to know what world we live in all of a sudden where Daryl gets a perfect score on a quiz and then doesn't have to pause to make sure that St. Paul is in Minnesota, which is, view behind the curtain, a thing you do literally every time we talk about Talisman. Well, this time I have <laughs> talismancaps.com on my iPad ah. and it says Talisman and Co. in their very nice font mm-hmm. uh, with St. Paul, comma, space, Minnesota underneath. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk about the hats in a moment, but I also uh, yeah. first wanted to talk about the kind of vintage shop they have. It's a thing we don't yes. often talk about when we talk about Talisman Caps, but it's a really cool feature that it's essentially you can go uh, to their vintage, like in like the drop-down menu, there'll be a vintage uh, tab. You click on that one, and then it it's basically It's called the takes, Talisman Vault. It's in the it vault, just like Disney used to do with Little Mermaid and stuff. Um, <laughs> it's the Talisman Vault. Yes. And in there, there's vintage jerseys. The Talisman aren't a gigantic evil corporation. Instead, they're a lovely they independent organization. Uh, but the vault is very cool because basically it's curated jerseys from clubs and countries and even some players from around the world. Uh, but for purposes yeah. of today's show, they've got like – I think it was like a Napoli shirt from like around 2000. There's an Inter Milan jersey from 96-97. And I think as you yeah. pointed out, there's a Juve jersey from before Juventus ruined their jerseys. Yes, a, pre, a pre-fall Juve jersey. <laughs> But there's like a Roberto Baggio <laughs> shirt that has like Baggio on it, and it's like it seems to include player information, which I found kind of awesome. So if you if you oh, need cool. like a a sort of secondary way to show your support for a team, like you could just buy the Baggio jersey and be like, yeah, I'm pretty big into Italy soccer. I have a giant Baggio <laughs> face on my on my stomach. <laughs> so yeah, Talisman. I think with this vintage with the vault, they mm-hmm. they're kind of proving they have an eye for style, right? Because yes. these are. These are like select jerseys that they've picked out of like, these are classics. You you will want these. Yes. And you can see the same taste that the the people at Talisman have got. Um, it's Dustin and Bethany, right, who yep. are in it. Um, the same taste is there in the caps. The caps are very stylish and a little bit cheeky. I like them. I, I like that. And I want to talk about the caps uh, for a moment because uh, – so it's a weird anecdote. But like uh, my wife and I went to the beach for a week. That's why I was on vacation. Uh, and while we were there, my dad my dad was there too. And he kept being like, why do you have so many hats? Because every every time, like, every morning we go to the beach, I was wearing a different talisman cap. I don't know. Apparently hats are a thing with him. He doesn't enjoy hats. He wanted to know why I was always wearing a hat. But my ah. answer was because they make so many awesome hats that I have many of them. <laughs> Did he accept that answer? No, <laughs> he, he was. Well, it's but it's see. It, it was easy though because they also have like the street soccer hat. So I'd be like, oh yeah, this one is in support of uh, street soccer USA. That's a hard uh-huh. one to be like. Okay, gr- grumbling response. And then there was like the uh, <laughs> the Edgewater Castle hat, which is the uh, the team we've talked about before in Chicago. Uh, that was another one that I think he had a hard time taking issue with. The one that I really think set him off was the the pink Pirlo hat. I think that was the one yes. where he was like. My, my dad is not a pink hat sort of fellow, so I think he was... I would agree with that. Uh, you would agree that he is not a pink hat sort of fellow? Yep. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> He's a man with a firm handshake. You know what I'm there it is. There. Oh, Frederick <laughs> is? Is he? <laughs> yes. Uh, Your Honor is the other way you can go with yeah. that one? Yes. Um, That's what I call him. <laughs> Yes, so uh, he, I think, eventually was won over by the variety and style of hats. That said, I don't know if he will be wearing a talisman cap, but I would encourage our listeners to wear them for sure. <laughs> um, you can find all kinds of uh, caps uh, to suit whatever mm-hmm. whatever team you support. Yeah. There's probably uh, a, a themed talisman cap uh, at talismancaps.com. And there's also some good general ones, right? Like there's the um, support local, support mm-hmm. local with a soccer ball on it. I'm a big fan of that sort of yep. – it's a, it's, a, it's a magnificent piece of graphic design with a really smart, simple message. And then I also like the USA 94 stuff. There's, what, yep. there's one USA 94 cap that's kind of in pride colors, which I really like as well. Yes. Yeah, I, I appreciate all those. And then I appreciate that, like, there's it's a lot of... Do, do ask, do tell. <laughs> I like that. That's, that should be the motto. I like that one very much. It should be called the do ask, do tell cap. Do ask, do tell <laughs> at Talisman Caps. Um, but I like that, like, I have, I bought a Manchester United hat uh, many, many years ago. And it's oh, yeah? really difficult to find a, like, a hat for your club that isn't either just the crest on it or doesn't have, like, loud colors all over and, like, like you know, very loud fonts all over it as well. You can't really find yeah, just, yeah. like, a subtle hat to wear out. Talisman have those options. The Man United hat, for example, is just, like, kind of like the devil pitchfork that the Red Devil wears in the club yeah. uh, logo. The Gunner hat, uh, which is currently sold out, but I'm sure they'll get back soon, has, like, just the cannon on it. Like, I, yeah. like the West Ham hat has just the two crossed irons. Like, it's a very minimalist approach to yep. wearing team specific hats and i think that's especially fascinating I, it's an interesting creative i'm sure yeah. it, like some of that is for legal reasons and copyright reasons oh yeah <laughs> but it also ends up in a nice sort of minimalist approach yeah. right like it, it, it's it's my style i'll say that it's my yes. style of thing like a nice minimalist approach you know me i'm not big on massive logos on my uh I mean, that's it. Daryl wears a bright yellow hat at all times, and it's it's got loud font all over it. It just says, like, come up and talk to me <laughs> in uh, bright orange lettering. It's I just like to be seen. Exactly. exactly. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I think that's mostly coming from the fact that I'm still staring at a very annoying Wolverhampton Wanderers jersey hanging from our door, which I think is where the well, orange influence be, is coming from. You're going to be looking at it until at least February, which is when the next Total Soccer Show derby is. I, I don't think Manchester United is ever going to be Wolverhampton again, so I'm just resigned <laughs> to looking at it forever. But it's not not helped by the fact that your uh, mic cover is also orange. So, and you yeah. have a box of Arm and Hammer baking soda on your desk because reasons. So, three oh, orange things on your side of the office. Yeah, I'm going to say I didn't put it there, but I like it now. I'm going to say it's Wolves themed. All right, that works. That works. Um, but if oh, you're, speaking of, they, they just kicked off against Torino. Um, so, right. so on, sh- on a Serie A note, I'm, I'm I'm ready to wrap this up if you are, because I want to watch <laughs> Wolves play Torino. Because now you have one and a half eyes on the television, and the other half an eye is doing whatever it does. Well, I've got to do a whole thing of logging into Wolves TV player because this is not uh, it's not right. available on regular channels. Yeah. Well, if our listeners also a- appreciate the minimalist approach to hats that we discussed earlier or they want to check out the Vintage Vault, they can do so and they can do so uh, at a discount. Well, not not the checking out, but the actual literal checking out once they've made a purchase. Uh, they can I do see. so at a discount. Uh, you can get 10% off by uh, using the code TOTALSOCCER10 at checkout. One more time, that's TOTALSOCCER10 to get 10% off at talismancaps.com. And it's Total Soccer, the words, and 1-0, the numbers. Thank you, Total yes. Soccer, 10 for 10% off. Ever the professional. Oh, if, you don't mind, if you don't mind me, a, a quick sidebar, Teddy, you mentioned the street soccer cap yeah. earlier. Um, 
We should mention, uh, we, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but we, we run the Richmond Street Soccer team. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any, if we have listeners in Richmond who are good soccer players who are maybe interested in, in volunteering, we're kind of, this is kind of final call to reach out and contact us before the season starts. So if there are any uh, good players out there who want to get involved with our street soccer team and volunteer, um, email contact at totalsoccershow.com and, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. All right. I, I'm going to say yeah. all, all housekeeping. It's a recruiting email, Tyler. I'm recruiting. I, I know. Recruiting you, season. You, you turn an ad spot into a recruiting session, and I liked it. <laughs> so I'm going to say all housekeeping now done. Daryl has a game to watch. I've got some editing to do, so I will just say thank you, Daryl, for taking the time to answer my Skype call. <laughs> thank you. I'll say arrivederci, Tyler. Arrivederci. Oh, well done. All right. On that note, back to my conversation with David Amoyal. And I, I'm very much looking forward to when uh, Juventus comes to town. Uh, how unpleasant <laughs> of a reception should Maurizio Sarri expect when Juventus head to Naples? Yeah, so first off, best wishes to Sarri, who's battling pneumonia. He's going to miss the first two matches. Ironically, the first match against Napoli, but the one in Turin, they'll come back after the international break. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting because, look, Higuain got really really tough reception Juve had all sorts of security when they were staying in Naples before matches the difference is though you know Higuain left Napoli to go directly to Juve Sarri at least had that one year in the Premier League and then he said look I have old parents I need to come back to Italy so they kind of spun it that way he is originally from Napoli has a strong affinity for the city. Look, he was really beloved there. Like that team that came so close to winning, like I'm confident that's a team we'll be talking about 20 years from now still, but he will get a tough reception. I think him going to Juve, which is, you know, Napoli's really bitter rival, um, is going to take its toll. And then like, you know, so in that sense, yeah, it, it will be rough for sure. And what about his reception from Juve fans? Uh, obviously not the most popular figure uh, at Chelsea when he left Chelsea. Coming to Juventus, I guess my idea was that it would sort of be like the perfect fit. Like here's this Italian manager. He's a tactician. He's got these interesting ideas. He plays exciting soccer. Uh, excuse me, he plays exciting calcio. Um, but it, uh, from reading Michael Cox, it sounds like maybe that philosophy sort of stands at odds with Juve's maybe like win-at-all-costs approach, I think is how he sort of deemed it. Yeah. So do you think it will it will work well for Saudi, or can you see some bumps along the way? So let's start with how he's perceived. I think, you know, there was a lot of people who really expected Pep Guardiola to be Juve's manager. I never thought that was realistic, but honestly, up until the day Saudi was announced as manager, there was a large percentage of Juve's population that was convinced Guardiola was coming in. So there was a lot of disappointment. And obviously, Sarri, when he was at Napoli, said, you know, he wasn't afraid to say, to criticize Juve and do the typical thing that managers at a club like Napoli or Milan or Inter, like the rivals would say about Juve. But what I have to say about Sarri is what's really worked out for him is that Juve got off to a great start to the transfer window. They got the licks. So they, they, they did a Rabiot, Ramsey. But recently, there's been a lot of very upset Juve fans because of their moves on the transfer market. Jao Cancelo was sold, and he was a very popular player. Uh, they've sold some young players. Moise Kane, of course, went to the Premier League, and they made a big profit there. So right now, Juve has been getting really criticized a lot. Uh, maybe people that don't follow Seti as much would be surprised by that because you see the lick, Rabiot, Ramsey. It's like, yeah, this is an exciting team. 
So the perception has really changed, and I feel like Sarri has really gotten the pass. And I think now also his illness makes him more of a sympathetic figure. I think Chelsea now getting off to a great start without him helps as well. So to me, for him, things have really radically changed, and I think he's going to be very well received when he actually sits on the bench. And I think Michael Cox makes an interesting point that Juve typically is the classic Italian team, much more defensive-minded, win at all costs. If we win 1-0, that's good enough and fine. Uh, They did that a lot under Allegri, but Juve really wanted to change that. I think they saw all the complaining on Allegri being too defensive, and you have these great offensive weapons. You have Ronaldo, Douglas Costa, Dybala, and you're not scoring two, three goals a match. So I think they were responding to that. And I think they were also responding to the fact that the teams in the Champions League that do well are those that play more offensive football. And Sarri definitely fits that bill. So I think things are trending well in for him. In my lifetime, Juve has only had one manager that wasn't more of a defensive, pragmatic approach. And that was Maifredi for one season. And that was an absolute disaster. But Sarri has much more experience than him and I think is a vastly superior coach. So I, I think Sarri is going to work out quite well. And then how, how well do you think Sarri and Ronaldo get along? From, from what I understand, Ronaldo has basically become more of a like central striker or that's what he prefers to be. I, I do assume that Sarri is going to ask him to do a bit more running, a bit more work off the ball. Is that the case? And do you think that relationship works well? I think Ronaldo's going to have an unbelievable season. I think Sarri with strikers has done really well. We know Higuain career year for him. Hazard statistically did well. I know Ronaldo's going to be 35, but if you told me you can have Ronaldo leading Serie A in goals or you can have literally every other player in the league, I would probably take Ronaldo over him, like Sarri has said that he envisions him more on the left wing. And that's why I think that's why they were also going after Lukaku was to have more of a central striker. They will try to get Icardi till the very end. I'm not sure if that will work out. If Dybala stays, if he doesn't go to PSG, which I think is possible if uh, Neymar is sold. If Dybala stays, I think he'll play the false nine role that we saw Mearns and uh Hazard play at Chelsea at times, and uh, that could be pretty interesting. But I think Ronaldo's going to have a monster season. I will say what did surprise me this summer is that you never felt like Ronaldo and his agent Mendes had much input on who the Juve manager was. Because I got to say, when Allegri, when there was talk that Allegri was going to leave, I was like, watch, they're basically going to pick the manager. And when that didn't happen, I have to say I was very surprise but I I think Sarri is going to be really good for him and then uh, you mentioned some of the signings Uh, they brought in uh, Matias Delix Danilo other players as well the Bosman signings are what interests me the most though Uh, Aaron Ramsey Adrian Rabio come to Juve without having to pay a fee necessarily Uh, you wrote a great article for the athletic Um, just because they didn't pay a transfer fee doesn't mean they were necessarily free transfers is that a fair way to put it Absolutely. Yeah. That's why I always refer to them as Bosman as opposed to free. In Italy, there's a great two uh, way. It's called parametro zero, which means zero fee. Parametro is what you, is the transfer fee. And I think that's a good definition, but there's usually inflated salaries, which both Ramsey and Rabiot are going to be earning a ton. They're going to be earning as much as Dybala, who was the second wow. highest paid player on the team. So they come right in 
with that, there were some commissions. Uva is a publicly traded company, so they put that. Rabio was $10 million. I think Ramsey was a little bit less surprising, but they came with big salaries. And I agree with you, as, as great as Delict is as a signing, it was really a really big boy signing from Juve. In some ways, maybe even more impressive than Ronaldo because of the competition. Uh, I think Juve is going to go as far as Rabiot and Ramsey take them in the Champions League because the midfield has been an issue for them. I'm not the biggest Pjanic guy. Um, I probably rate him less than pretty much anyone else that covers Serie A. So to me, Rabiot and Ramsey are really going to be the key, the X factors for Juve. Rabiot's had a great uh, summer campaign. He's been maybe Juve's best player in the friendlies. Ramsey's been battling injuries, big surprise, but he is back now. <laughs> Sammy Kadiras had a revival. Old Juve fans that had written him off, Sarri fell in love with him, as do most managers are that are with him. I think Kadiras is going to start the first match of the season, which I think uh, you're going to see quite a reaction on Twitter with that happens. But I think Rabio and Ramsey agree with you are really the guys that are going to determine how far Juve goes in the Champions League and uh, by how big of a margin they win Serie A if they do. S- sticking with your athletic article, though, for a moment, uh, the thing, the other element that I, I thought was partic- particularly interesting was the like role that agents or like intermediaries play in some of these transfers, yep. but then also the kind of fee that those agents are getting. Can you talk a little bit about that for a moment? Sure. Sure. So I, I think the most evident one was Emre Shan, who signed with Juve the year before from Liverpool. Like Juve, there was no transfer fee, but they paid $16 million in commission to sign him, and they put that on their books, and they're paying that over two years. That went to his agent. They paid him a very high salary, and he's not a full-time starter at Juve. He had become under Allegri. Let's see if he is under Sarri. So you have a guy who isn't a starter, who's earning, you know, right below the top earners, and you have his agent getting a hefty commission. And, you know, what's interesting about this, you know, it's one thing like a transfer fee goes to another club who, you know, for the most part, you would think reinvests it in whatever form. Uh, When it goes to an agent, it just goes in their pocket. So it goes out of the market. Basically, an agent is acting as the selling club when their client is a Bosman, is is available on a Bosman. So it's a fascinating topic. I really appreciate it. George and Brooks let me write about that because it's very interesting. It's something not a lot of people know. I'm glad it was also behind the paywall because I'm friends with a lot of agents. I don't think they were particularly (laughs) glad of that one. I don't think I'd write it on a site that's not, doesn't have that luxury. So yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, that's kind of my thing. It's like my pet peeve is, you know, the Bosman aren't free. And ultimately I feel like net spend really means very little. I mean, we'd get lost and maybe next time I come on, we can talk about that. But the Bosman stuff, yeah, is definitely very interesting. And Juve have been the kings of this because they've developed great relationships with agents for a long time. I mean, that's also one of the reasons why they got the licks. I mean, I think had any other agent that wasn't Rayola, I'm not sure Juve were going to be able to get him. Like, they have no problem paying him commissions. They had no problem giving him an exit clause and also Juve's development of relationships with agents has really helped them. And now it's not surprising to me that we see Inter and Napoli are like, wait a second, we should be doing this too. Inter, they don't work with Rayola, but they work with pretty much all the other top agents. And Napoli this year did two deals with Rayola, Manolas and Lozano. They 
worked with Mendez on trying to bring in James Rodriguez. I don't think that'll happen. So I think the other clubs are like, you know what? If we got to compete with Juve, we have to get a, get in bed with these guys. That, that makes sense to me. It also makes sense to me that you've you've kind of uh, successfully and succinctly laid out your reasons for why we've kind of got our like maybe top three and then maybe like the top five after like underneath them. We have not yet talked about AC Milan or I guess just Milan. Yeah, uh, that is rather telling, I guess, in my opinion. Uh, Marco uh, Giampaolo, Marco Giampaolo has yeah. uh, has come in. Uh, that seems to be like an outlier for me again as an outsider, just because. So recently, it's been uh, former players like taking over managerial yeah. roles, or sort of like bigger names uh, going back to even Allegri, even Ancelotti, like up to like two thousand nine, I think, something like that. Um, so, who is Marco Giampaolo? Excuse me for those who uh, aren't as familiar. So I'll say he's the best manager they've had since Allegri, precisely for the reason you said he's not. I mean, he is a former player, but not a former Milan legend. I think Milan. All too often did that. I think it's extremely telling that none of the managers that left, that managed Milan since Allegri left, except for Mihailovic, who just like Sad, unfortunately, is battling a really tough health thing. I mean, Mihailovic is a good manager for a mid-table team. All the others, like Seedorf, like people in Zaghi is mm-hmm. now, and Serie B, Gattuso, we don't know where he's going to go next. I think it's very telling that they're, they aren't managing they haven't done well since they left Milan. And Giampaolo was at Sampdoria. He's kind of from the Sarri school. He actually replaced Sarri at Empoli when Sarri went uh, to Napoli. So he's very similar in style. You have the typical Sarri things, high line, defense, uh, pressure when the other team has the ball, uh, you know, tight line. So if you kind of like the Sarri style, Giampaolo will do well. I- I'm a big fan. I mean, my only reservation is the pressure of managing Milan's very different than any other place he's been at. And they have a lot of new players too. But I think on paper, he's clearly tactically the best manager they've had. But I think, you know, Milan, when I look at the landscape and said, yeah, I have them more like sixth or seventh. I don't have them as close to Lazio and Atalanta. I think those teams are better but they do have some intriguing players i think milan and gazidis the former guy from arsenal that spelled it out at the beginning of the summer he goes look we are going to go for young players that we're going to turn into stars here either they're going to be our stars look moving forward or we'll be able to make some money on them because of young players you can always usually turn some kind of profit on that they've targeted some good young players but this isn't uh you know the established guys so Let's see what happens. I think Milan's one year away from being a serious contender for a Champions League spot, but I think they're at least trending in the right direction. So they've moved away from the sort of like former players. They've gone like a different yeah. route. Does that extend to some of the people that they've gotten rid of this offseason? Because I kind of assumed players like uh, Cutrone and Locatelli uh, would be fixtures at the club for, for forever, for a decade. Sort of like what I think of like Gigi uh, Donnarumma being for them. Uh, now both players have left. Cutrone to Wolves, Locatelli to Swallow, I believe. Uh, what, yeah. Were you surprised by those transfers, or is that something where maybe I'm just overrating them because they're young Italians who played for Milan, and thus I thought they'd be there forever? 
So uh, this goes back to, you know, I don't really believe in net spend is the homegrown players bring huge profits to teams because they don't have an amortized value because of the cost of acquiring. So a player like Cutrone went to wall, and I think he's a pretty good player. I mean, I don't think he's a starter on a team like Milan. I think if he's your first striker off the bench, that's great. But they made a pure profit on him. He That sale essentially covers the annual cost of almost all the players they've brought in since because it was a pure Profit. So Benafser was a very intriguing player. He was a voted best player at the Africa Cup. Uh, they brought Leao from Lille, who was an intriguing young striker. They brought Theo Hernandez from Real Madrid. They brought Krunic from Empoli. Like the cost of all those players for this fiscal year was covered by Cutrone. So I could see why now that they have strict financial fair play parameters. I think Milan for the right offer would have moved Donnarumma too, but credit to him. He said he absolutely wanted to stay. Now let's see if he negotiates a new contract. Uh, Maybe PSG does another attempt before the window closes, but at this point I think Donnarumma stays. But you know, it's kind of the same reason why Juve sold Moise Keane, is you can just make a pure profit on these homegrown players and it is painful to see them go. Cutrone didn't want to leave at all. Actually, he was here in Boston when he was sold, and he was not happy about it. But in a way, he helped Milan more uh, with that sale. How how are like the fans uh, of Milan feeling about this? Because it's a club that you know historically has been this huge team that that have been internationally known. They've competed on like a number of different fronts and been known to the Champions League. So for them to be sort of like maybe we're going to finish sixth or seventh this year, and then maybe next year we're going to get to the Champions League. I understand there can be patience if it's like a project that's developing. But the way Milan have been so up and down and sort of so middlingly up and down, how are like supporters of the club feeling right? now so a couple of things i mean i see them as six or seven but it seems mm. maybe a lot of people see them potentially as four okay. and hey if they prove me wrong good for them i'd be i think it's great i mean what Serie i really needs to is milan to be back so if they prove me wrong good so i think that there's a little bit more optimism but I do think the club, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were bringing in Bonucci, they were bringing in Higuain, they were trying to bring, you know, the more classic players you would associate with Milan, but they turned out to be absolute disasters. So I think the fans are like, you know what, tried that route, didn't really work, let's see if this works. I think there's a lot of optimism for Giampaolo and also... The two players they acquired in January, last January, they spent a lot on Polish striker Piontek and Brazilian midfielder Paqueta. Uh, those, in a lot of ways, like they're going to be kind of the X factor for them. I think if they play as well as they did in the second half of last season, maybe Milan can exceed kind of where I have them. So I think overall, there's maybe a little bit more optimism within the fan base than I have, but they also don't think they're going to compete for the title like that. That's for sure, too. So, yeah, it's definitely a different Milan for sure. But what I like is there was a very honesty from the club at the beginning of the summer transfer window saying this is what we're going to do. And they exactly stuck to that.
All right. So uh, that's Milan. We've talked about a lot of the big clubs. We've not yet talked about Roma, who I have a like okay. a, a nominal fandom for. Uh, I guess almost the same question for you as my question about Milan is like kind of what's going on in Rome? Because <laughs> um, the Monchi experiment doesn't work. Daniela De Rossi is gone. Uh, new faces coming in. Ed and Dzeko, they've managed to hold on to him, I think I read today, like by making him captain. So I'm wondering sort of generally uh, what do you make of the situation in Rome? So, uh, yeah, kind of like you, I have an affinity for them. Uh, you know, they're based, the ownership here in Boston, great people. So, you know, I hate not to be completely optimistic about them, but I'll say this. They got off to a dreadful start this summer. So, Monchi, as you mentioned, an absolute disaster uh, at Roma. So, at the beginning of the summer, they lose De Rossi, their captain, who he can play a lot of games, but what he did, he made a difference. So he's gone. They had a poor defense to begin with, and they lost the only above-average defender they had in Manolas, who, to add insult to injury, went to Napoli. Uh, then they lose. They struggled scoring goals last season. They had a poor defense, didn't score many goals. They lost El Sharawi, who scored their most goals on the team, was their most consistent player. So that's how they started. The summer. Then they brought in new sporting director Petracchi, who came from Torino. I think he's done well. There's no, you know, I'm not denying that he's done a good job. They finally have a real keeper in Paul Lopez. Last year, Olsen was absolutely dreadful. Uh, they brought in Mancini from Atalanta, who's pretty good. He's a good young defender to kind of help replace Manolas. They might get uh, Rugani from Juve. Not a big fan, but maybe he can relaunch himself there uh they signed Zeko they resigned Zeko as you said and look to me if the alternative was signing Higuain which looked to be the case I'd rather have Zeko but he also only scored nine goals last season and is now 33 um still again though it was the right thing to do so I think they're going to struggle scoring goals and the defense I have reservations on now they do have a strong midfield and they had a strong midfield going into the summer even losing De Rossi uh, Zaniolo kind of had a breakout season. They signed him to ex- an extension. Pellegrini did uh, very well. Cristante, second half of the season, did well. And they brought in two other starters. And Diara from Napoli, young player, uh, very promising, but uh, didn't live up to expectation in Napoli. And Vertu from Fiorentina, who's a functional player. So Petracchi, the sporting director at Torino, built the team in the image of his manager there, Mazzari, done the same at Roma with Fonseca, who arrived from Shakhtar, has now a 4-2-3-1. I'd say if you're a Roma fan, the best reason for optimism is what Fonseca is going to do. This summer, he's looked good. Uh, you know, last year, Ranieri did well when he returned, but Di Francesco definitely struggled. So if you're a Roma fan, I would try to you know, highlight what is Fonseca going to do. Can Clivert and Singus under uh, improve under him, which is certainly possible. But I have Roma kind of there with the mix with Milan. Maybe not, a, they're definitely not as strong as Lazio and Atalanta in my mind. Um, and I'm sure it's like it's been uh, examined to death, but not on our show. So I want to ask you, sure. why why did Monchi go so poorly? Because that was a move, him moving to become like their sporting director. I was just so sure that, uh, or whatever his title was, uh, but like I was so sure that that was going to work perfectly. That was one that if you, I, I would have bet all the money on like, that's such a smart signing. Sure. You bring him in, he's going to revolutionize the squad. It's going to be back to them winning Serie A titles. Instead, here we are with him moving back to Sevilla. So what, what, in your opinion, was it that uh, went so wrong there? 
so what was interesting, um, I don't know if you read the article Rory Smith did on Monchi for the New York Times, went to him, spent some time oh, with him yeah. in Sevilla recently, was really good. And actually, it was interesting because I spent some time with the people at Roma. They were pretty upset with Rory that he basically didn't mention anything about Roma, but whatever. As a writer, I guess he didn't want to get lost on that tangent. So what was interesting about that article is that Monchi said that the most underrated thing in transfers is that you have to sign players that you think are going to strive in the environment at the club you're bringing them to. And he mentioned that about a few players he brought into Sevilla that just really the environment at the club was perfect for them. So I think the same applies to him at Roma. Roma, maybe listeners will be shocked to find out that I would say is the most pressured job in Italy, isn't Juve, isn't Inter, isn't Milan, it's Roma. Like people there are just insane. I'm surprised to hear that. So there was a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. So Monchi had that. And the other thing that I don't think really helped him is Totti was transitioning from player to director. And Totti, you know, likes to be the star. And I think he wanted a bigger role. And I think him and Monchi didn't really see eye to eye on who would do what. So I think that contributed to it. So I'm trying to be nice to Monchi and because there are some elements there. But, I mean, you go down the line, I mean, it's one after the other, like signings that just were absolute uh, disasters. Like in Zonzi, who you Mm -hmm. thought would make sense. I mean, they sent him out to Galatasaray and were like, you know what? If you want to pay a salary, you can keep him the next two years. And we just don't want him back. Like Patrick Schick, the most expensive signing in Roma's history. Absolute disaster. They're probably going to end up uh, loaning him out to Olsen, who I think is like real, honestly, the worst keeper I have seen in Serie A the past, like in the past five years. So I want to give him a pass, but like honestly, too, you go down the line, player by player, just did not work out. And so let's see how he does there. I think Sevilla seems to really be the perfect place for it. But I'm, I'm with you. I certainly expect him to do a lot better than he did at Roma. All right. Well, maybe we're going to give Monchi a pass for now. We'll see how it goes. But you've, you, David, have made me very excited for the uh, coming Serie A season. Uh, there are lots of narratives, lots to pay attention to. And for people who want to pay even closer attention, I would say that uh, yours is a great podcast to listen to. So for people who want to hear more from you or read more from you, how can they find you? Thanks for asking. So, yeah, we have a Culture Land podcast twice a week. Uh, my co-host, Alex Goldberg, for any familiar Premier League, absolutely blowing up with his Chelsea stuff. Mm-hmm. He's been with me two years, and he's been great. Knows a lot about Serie A. We have a, a lot of guests. So we try to bring a lot of people from Italy, so to be kind of a little bit unique there. We like to cover, you know, pop culture to a time. We've been talking a lot about Tarantino's movie, get into journalism, but Sedia is the focus and uh we do twice a week. So I appreciate the plug. And yeah, you can read me on ESPN, the Athletic with George and Brooks, uh sometimes on other sites as well. So uh thanks again and I love your show. You guys are amazing. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thank you so much. And next time, I look forward to discussing Tarantino movies because I have thoughts on Once, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I liked it oh, very much. Okay. <laughs> now, oh, okay. Oh, me too. So that and Netspan and all sounds great. <laughs> all right. Well, that works for me. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for one more time. We greatly appreciate it. All right. It was a real pleasure. Thanks again. <laughs>